ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Legends of Packard. It's time for a whole new edition of the Legends of Packard podcast. I am former Sun Devil Baseball Sports Information Director Randy Policar, and unfortunately, Jake Borup is not here this afternoon. He is feeling a little bit under the weather, but we had two great guests booked. That's right, two for the price of one. We have one of the great baseball families in the history of Arizona State Athletics, the Romines, Kevin Romine and Andrew Romine. Kevin was an outfielder from 1981 to 1982, a member of the 1981 National Championship team. He was put into the ASU Hall of Fame in 1986, or excuse me, 1996. He had his number 12 retired by the program in 2006. He is uh, the owner of the highest career average in ASU history at 408, back-to-back seasons of over 400, 410 and 81, 406 and 82, two-time All-American, two-time first-team All-Pac-10 player, second-round pick of the Boston Red Sox in 82, and spent seven big league seasons at Fenway with, uh, with the Red Sox. And then, of course, there's Andrew, infielder, 05 to 07, shortstop, two-time Pac-10, honorable mention, uh, two College World Series appearances in 05 and 07, fifth-round pick of the uh, Angels in 2007, played 11 big league seasons, just recently retired after five, uh, playing with five different teams, and I could not be more excited to have them join the program right now. So here it is, joining the Legends of Packard podcast, our first-ever father-son show, Kevin and Andrew Romine. Thanks, Randy. We're happy to be here. When I, when you sent me that message, I was I immediately called my dad and said, "Hey, we got to go do this." And it was it wasn't really a, a question of whether we would do it or not. It was when are we going to get this done? Because we had some pretty good years when we were there, and you know everybody treated us like family. So being able to come back and talk to you about it, it's fun. Well, I'm going to start with you, Kevin, and then we'll get in, the, and then I'll have the same question for you, Andrew, but. Kevin, let's start with you. You're a Southern California guy. So how did you end up in Tempe, Arizona with the Sun Devils? Well, back at the time, I was going to Orange Coast. And there was a, we had a good team. We ended up winning the, the state championship that year. And there was a, uh, like two or three guys that were going off our team. Uh, they were both sophomores that year. Donnie Hill and Chris Johnston and a couple of, picture, couple of picture, pitchers that were going over there. And, you know, the season ended and we had won it all. And after talking to those guys, I, we came over here and, uh, in, in Arizona and played in an Easter tournament, I believe. And we got a chance. We went to one of the ASU games. There's like 7,000 people in the stands. And, I mean, the place was rocking. And we were watching, man, I want to play here. I want to go here, man. It's a, this looks like fun. So I was talking to Donnie Hill and them. And I said, so what's going on? Why, why are you guys coming here? And they're like, is this the place to be? And I said, and so I went back after the tournament. I told Coach Maine, I said, hey, I want to go to ASU. <laughs> he goes, really? Because it was my freshman year. So I guess they just assumed that I was going to be coming back. And uh, he got on the phone to Coach Rock and said, hey, I says, I know I'm sending you half my team already. He says, but I got one more guy that wanted to come over there. And he goes, I think you really ought to take a shot at him or at least take a look at him because I think he's going to be something special. So um, Brock and Keener, at the time, they, they flew out and watched the practice in a game. And, you know, next thing you know, I'm a Sun Devil. And, Andrew, did you feel pressure to, to follow in your dad's footsteps when it came? You know, there's plenty of plenty of good programs in Southern California, obviously. But was there any question about whether you're going to come to ASU? There was always a question. I, it wasn't automatically set up. I, I liked the idea. And, obviously, there's the cool nostalgia you know, my dad went there, he's on the wall, I could go there. But 
they never pressured me into anything. They, they actually pushed me to go look at all my options. And so I was talking to schools all the way out in Florida. And at the time, um, you know, USC was really big. Also, they had some good programs. Um, Texas, I, I was looking at lots of other states, but I ended up coming here to visit. And that's when, you know, I, I got shown around. And when you're hanging out with guys like Dustin Pedroia and Jeff Larish and guys are showing you around, you know, pointing out your dad's name on the wall and seeing what the school is all about and the program. And when I finally met, you know, the coaching staff and sat down with everybody and listened to what they had to say, that's when it, it became a, a no-doubter in my brain. Like being here and seeing the tradition was kind of a, a special thing for me. Kevin, so you got to play for Coach Brock. Andrew, you got to play for Pat Murphy. And while they are, I'm sure, different, they're also probably very similar in a lot of ways. Have you two ever discussed the the similarities you had in the coaches? I think, I, so I hear stories about, and I think one similarity, I got to watch my language because my nephews are, and my, my nephew and niece are in the room, but both of them are hard asses from what I <laughs> heard stories from my dad. But when you're at a program like Arizona State, you have to be. Because there's standards that are set before you even come in that we're going to win. We're not just going to get to the College World Series. We're not just going to perform well enough to be there. We're going there to win. So, you know, we celebrated everything that we accomplished. But at the same time, it was we have one goal. And if we don't reach that goal, then this year isn't an accomplishment in, in our eyes. And sometimes it sounds a little rough, but when you're trying to agree, uh, achieve great things, you have to have very high standards. I think I think Coach Brock was pretty much the same way. As uh, you step on the field to put the uniform on, and uh, they expect to win. You know they don't. There's no, there's no excuses. You know you're there to win, and I don't think he has anything less than going to a World Series and trying to win it, and putting the best team he can put on the field. And, you know he was just. You know, I I had no problems playing for him. Coach Brock was probably the most memorable coach I had ever played for. I mean, I, I enjoyed getting on the field and he, he took, he made everybody the best they could be. He, you know, he, he knew how good people were. He knew how good you could be and he would never let you play. He, he never played down. He always played up. So that was kind of expected when you put on the uniform here. I'll tell you, I'll tell you right now, Murph and I butted heads all the time. And we, even to this day, I, I probably talked to him like three days ago, but we, from day one, when we got there and that, you know, you get that when you get a lot of people who are you know, the best of where they came from and they're expecting greatness out of everybody and their self. So you get a lot of butting heads and as long as it stays, you know, within the realm of acceptable in a, in a relationship, you can achieve great things together. Well, you weren't the only one who butted heads with Murph. Him and I had it out a few times in his office, just the two of us. So it that was a that was definitely a common theme in the program. But you always, at the end of the day, I mean, he was Murph. You had to take him for what he was, and you knew that it was you know it was his way. And I'm sure Coach Brock. I've, we've talked to a lot of guys who had some issues with Coach Brock, but then the next breath they said, "But we love Coach Brock, right?" Kevin, is that kind of how it was for some of your teammates? I think that was the way it was for almost everybody. I mean, as much as, as you know. One minute you feel like you hate the man, the next minute he's the next thing next to your father. You know, he, he knocks you down and then he picks you right back up and they find a way to get the best out of everybody. And it seems like 
I can remember one time he told me we were talking, and this was years after I left, and, he, and we were just kind of talking about the atmosphere, how it was. And he goes, he goes, I'm not here to be your friend. I says, is if I could, if I'm the enemy, then the rest of the team is your friend. So he had a way of making he had a way of making everybody kind of come together and play as a team. And if we ever if we ever were angry or had had an enemy, he goes, I'd rather it be me than your teammates. And that was kind of a philosophy that we kind of lived with while we were there. So you guys are unique in the fact that you both made it to the College World Series in your first collegiate season. Kevin, ultimately, you guys won the national championship that year in 1981. So tell, tell me a little bit about your perspective, both of you, about your first year of college. And hey, here we are in Omaha. And Andrew, obviously, you know, the 05 team went on that memorable run, beating Fullerton and then the unbelievable run in Omaha. So have, did you guys compare and contrast notes from uh, your College World Series times? It, 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 was a, it was kind of like a, a unique experience because, you know, having lived it the first time back in the 80s for me and then getting a chance to go watch Andrew play, you know, years later, as much as everything seemed different, it was so much the same. I mean, the same kind of enthusiasm, the same kind of atmosphere, the way that you went about playing your games. It's like, the more it changes, the more it stays the same. And we just, we just had a great time. I mean, I, I just, I don't have any bad memories of that. The World Series was awesome. Everybody, everybody was like, it just kind of came together as a team. And I could see their team doing a lot of the same things that we did. I mean, it was just when you first walk into that environment, you really don't know before you get to a World Series like that where you fit in or how good your team is. It just kind of, as the season progressed for us, I started to see that this was a special team. This was a bunch of special players that came together and everybody played well. And I think that's kind of like a unique thing to us. And then at the same time, Andrew could probably tell you the same feelings that he had about his teammates and the way that they came together and played as a team in order to win. Yeah, it was it was a, a eye-opening experience just going to college in the first place. But what I got there and was thrown into was a special experience because I was, first of all, I was a freshman. JJ and I were the only freshmen that were technically starters at that time. And everybody else was three, four years in, some guy five years into their college experience. And they have already experienced failure and a little bit of success. So they're getting there going, this is our one shot. And I'm like, oh, I got three, four years to be here and, and win something. And little do I know at the time, it's not, not that easy. You know, you, you can't just expect to get back there. So those guys did a good job of bringing everybody together. Kind of like my dad was saying, you have your group of small group of people that you are on a mission with and everybody else at school really doesn't have any idea what you're going through the day in day out grind of getting up and doing weights at six in the morning and then having class all day coming back and having practice and then going to labs at night and your life is, is hectic and it becomes stressful. But with that group of people that you have, um, your team kind of pulls you through and you, and you have to have good leaders that are there. Like I said, I, I had guys like, uh, Tuffy Gosowich and Travis Buck and people who showed us the way, you know, this is what you have to do. And this is what it's going to take. If you're going to achieve greatness here, and that's what we're we're doing. So if you're not on board, you can get the hell out of here. It was kind of like the the motto that we had going. Like you better you better jump on board here because we're trying to do something. That's kind of a common theme I've I've come across talking to various guys from various eras. 
Kevin, was it uh, Alvin Davis who kind of played that role for the 1981 team that Andrew was talking about? Yeah, there's, you know, I could, a couple of guys come to mind. Alvin, Alvin, one of the, one of the, the main leaders. And then you had Mike Sauters and guys like that. I mean, just, just about everybody on that team, I, you know, being a, a, a stranger coming into a program that was established and there were already some great, you know, so many great players. I did have the luxury of playing the year before with Donnie and, and Chris Johnston, but I mean, just to walk into that environment. And, and see the type of and just the quality of players that they had on that organization already. And they expected to win. You walked into an environment where it wasn't, hey, let's just play ball. It's like, no, we're going to win. You want to be a part of it, step up and become part of this team. Because if not, you know what? We're just going to leave you behind. It's got to move forward. Let's go. So there's full speed ahead. And there was nothing but that expectation that we that we lived with every day. Andrew, was it hard for you when you got to school? I mean, you talked about being one of the only freshmen on, on the starting lineup. And, and then you had that extra pressure of, you know, not only did your dad play there, but your dad won a national championship there. And, you know, by the way, he's also the all-time leader in batting average and the all-time leader in stolen bases. Was there that extra little bit of pressure because your dad was such a great player for the program? And, you know, maybe in your mind, like, oh, do I need to live up to this? I, I mean, looking back now, I don't think so. Um... At the time, I'm sure the young me was thinking, I have to do what he did or do better than he did. And um, we were we were different types of players, first of all. So it was difficult for me to compare myself to him, other than me wanting to steal as many bags as he did, but I could never <laughs> do it. So it, it kind of fell to the wayside of me trying to be him or better than him. and And that probably came because both of my parents were really good influences in the fact that that they were telling me to be the best me that I can be, not not be as good as somebody else. If I can max out what I'm capable of doing, then I've achieved as much as I can possibly achieve. And I couldn't, I can't be dissatisfied with that. If I do everything I possibly can to be the best I can be. Kevin, how about you from a, a father's standpoint, you know, when he came to school and you're thinking, well, you know, I, I played here and I put up these stats and I don't know if you even realize the stats that you put up, you know, at the time, but were you worried about maybe the pressure that we're going to be put on Andrew from outside forces? Uh, in, in some ways. Yeah. In other ways, I think Andrew kind of explained it a little bit is that his mother and I, it's like, we didn't, I never, I never put pressure on my, my kids or, or the boys, either one of them actually to be better than me or to be as good or whatever. They both accomplished far more than I ever did. So, I mean, it's not like, even back then it was, he explained it, just be the best you, be who you can be. You know, there's no, you don't, the goal is not to be better than dad. The goal is to be the best that you can be and, and then be okay with that. I mean, I already know that he's got a lot of pressure on him. Just walking into that environment, there's going to be a ton of pressure. You put that on yourself. You don't need to get that from your family. So we try to stay away from that kind of pressure. Let's talk about, um, that 2005 run at the college world series and because i want both your perspectives on it you know you had the amazing comeback the three home run game and you know the you had the the win at fullerton in the super regional you know going back to southern california and and winning a game against and you weren't there for the previous few years where fullerton was the nemesis so kind of take me through that whole thing and then kevin i'm interested in getting your perspective watching it from not just the role as his father, but as a Sun Devil and seeing them get back to the World Series for the first time in a while. 
I was there. I was there because we lived 20 minutes down the street from Cal State Fullerton. So we went to some of those baseball games and my dad was showing me this is what college baseball looks like. This is what D1 best in the country looks like. So, so when we went back there, I was going back home and I was going to the place where I was supposed to go to school. I knew those coaches. I knew a lot of those players. I played against them and with some of them. So for us to be able to go back there and beat them was huge. And I, I like to toot my own horn a little bit. That was the only place I ever hit a home running college. So <laughs> I only hit one and I hit it against the team I was supposed to go play for. So, and then we knocked them out and ended up going to Omaha. But that was, that was probably at that point, that was the most intense baseball I've ever been a part of because that whole jump into regional, super regionals going to Omaha, it was a lot of emotion. It was a lot of everything because it, you, live and die with a couple of bats or one inning or one game can make the difference. So for, for us to be able to go back there and then win in front of my family and have my parents in the stands and my little brother and my sisters, it was, it was crazy. It was a lot of fun, but it was something that I'll never forget. And it kind of drove me from that point on to like, this is, I want it. I want that again. Like I want that feeling again of the excitement and the, and the tension that was going on. I kind of craved it after that. Kevin, what was it like for you as a father and a Sun Devil seeing them go to Fullerton and, and pull off the win? Well, as a Sun Devil, it was, it was great. I mean, that's what we hope for. We hope that as a, as a fan of the, of the organization, you want to see everybody succeed and you want to see them make it to the World Series. As a parent, I mean, gosh, being a parent is, is the hardest thing I think there ever was. It was always harder to be the parent than it ever was for me to be a player having to watch and, and, and you live and die with every pitch for him. And you're like, geez, I mean, I hope that, you know, you want to hit it and you want to do it. And there's, you know, sitting in the stands, there's nothing you can do to, there's nothing you can do, but cheer him. You can't help in any way. And it's like the same watching when I got a chance to watch Andrew play. And as they moved into the playoffs that particular year and after that, um, but seeing it from a different perspective, not as a player anymore, but as a parent, you see, you see a whole different aspect of the game and everything that goes along with it that you don't see when you're actually sitting in the dugout. You're so focused on playing a game and doing what your role is as part of that team that you just miss, you miss so much. You, I mean, no, not really miss, but you just don't, you're not aware of everything else that's going on around you. It's kind of like the, uh, the movie with the For Love of the Game when he's, you know, clear the mechanism. Mm -hmm. When that, when I first saw that movie, and I was sitting in movie theater and I'm going, yeah, like that, <laughs> that right there. Like that's exactly, I mean, at least for the people who are able to focus, like that was real. Like being able to just make everything white noise blurred out. And this is the only thing that's happening. That really happened. And then, and then as, as a parent or a fan, so understand you can see the perspective you didn't see from that. So it's kind of a whole, it's like, I get to see it from both sides. It was really kind of unique and it was fun. Really, it was fun to, to watch that whole experience. Let's talk about the 1982 season, Kevin. You guys come off the national championship. You got a lot of guys back, but the season doesn't end the way you wanted to. What was it? What was it like for you? You know, knowing it was probably going to be your last year in school, to come back after winning the national championship and and the expectations of that season. Because Andrew, the same kind of thing happened for you in 06. And we'll get into that a little bit, but I, I want to know more about that 82 season and, and how, you know, how it all went for you. 
Well, I mean, well, 81 season, I mean, that was just, that was kind of like a climax of college for me. 82 was, uh, you know, we, we just, we came fresh off of a national championship and uh, we came back with a core group. We did, we lost a big, we lost a whole heart of our team from the year before we really did. The people that were our leaders and the people, you know, other than, you know, me and Alvin and a couple other guys, I mean, the, the, bulk, the bulk of that national team moved on, but they left, they left a legacy behind for us. And then we had guys that came in and fit the puzzle. And I thought, you know, we were a great team in 81. We were a great team in 82. Um, we, we can't, we missed out by a game. <laughs> it came down to our nemesis, like you said, you know, Fullerton, you know how they are. They tend to be in our crawl all the time, but uh, we, we were expecting to return and go back there. We had a good nucleus of a team. It just, you know what, like you said, it's so hard. People don't realize you look back 40 years ago was the last time we won a national championship. And it just seems like 40 years. You're like, wow, that's a long time. And Andrew, for you guys, you know, the 05 season, most of those guys moved on to, to pro ball. So it was basically a whole start over, but you had all these talented freshmen coming in and then you went through your health issues, which we'll get into, but you did come back that season. So what was it like for you in the 2006 season coming back as now a veteran as a sophomore? I know it's hard to think of yourself as a veteran, but when you look at all the freshmen we had on that 06 team, and that was my first year with the program as the SID, uh, you know, what was it like going into a regional as a two seed and, and thinking, okay, well, this is going to be a, a tough road to hoe to get back to Omaha. I, I felt like it kind of went back and forth between we were underestimated, but also the expectations of ASU and what we had done the prior season. But we, those years, the guys that they kept bringing in every year, we could have put out an all freshman team three, four years in a row and still had the opportunity to get a spot in the playoffs. That's how talented our, and I mean, obviously credit to our scouting department for going out and finding guys. Um, being able to put together a team that you know is going to battle no matter where they're from or what, what state they came from. But, you, you know, we same thing. We went to playoffs, and um, I think we went to Rice yep. where where it was. I mean, we were playing against three, four different teams that were probably should have been hosting in their own right, you know, and it was a, it was a tough regional. And at that point in time in the season – and they say this a lot in college, who's hot right now? You know, who's, who's hot in June? Because you could have, you could be the best team in the country throughout the whole season, have almost an undefeated record and then get into June. And if you have just a hiccup for one weekend, you're going home. So it was, it was a tough, and it seems like it just gets tougher every year. And you see teams coming out of the woodworks that are getting into playoff spots and going to Omaha now and winning. So it's, it's almost like, there's so many kids that are born and raised to play baseball nowadays that you could put together good teams at any school, anywhere in the country. So you, you almost have to be that much more on for the entire season, all the way through game one to the end. Let's, let's walk through that 2006 season. Now I joined the program that beginning of that season. So I wasn't there when your whole health scare went down. So can you tell us a little bit about a little bit of background and then, Kevin, I want to get your perspective too, because if you think about it, I mean, gosh, that was, you know, 16 years now. We didn't have Twitter. There wasn't Facebook. There wasn't the same kind of social media or online presence. So information on it is scarce. And now the, you know, it was thoracic outlet, if I'm not mistaken, mm -hmm. that's become more prevalent now. So 
tell us a little bit about what happened from your perspective. And then Kevin, as a parent in another state, having, having to see this from, you know, not being right there with them. I just kind of give me the background. So I had come back from home that off season and I was working out. I woke up, my arm was a little swollen. Um, didn't think much of it, you know, just kind of, I was supposed to go back, uh, to get ready for the season at ASU and the next week. So we just kind of kept an eye on it. I went back to Arizona. Go, I think Kenny was Kenny McCarty was the, the trainer at the time. And he comes and looks at me. He's like, Hey, I think we should go check this out. So we go to the hospital, get everything done. And I'm some 18, 19 year old kid who has no idea what the heck is going on. And they're telling me, you might want to call your mom. And I was like, well, what are we talking about? And well, you have a blood clot. And I'm like, well, what do we do? How do we fix this? And they're like, you might want to call your mom first. <laughs> we're we're going to, this is more serious than you think. So I go get a bunch of x-rays and MRIs and MRAs and you name it. We did it. Um, comes back that I'm going into the ICU. And that same week, a girl, I believe on U of A basketball team, uh, one, she had a blood clot that broke off and went into her lungs and she collapsed on the court and passed. And we were like, so now everybody's freaking out. Uh, it becomes a huge ordeal. And basically my life was for the next couple of months, like don't die, you know, like everything, everything else just goes out the window. Like you're not worried about school or baseball. I'm, I'm literally just laying in a hospital bed with my mom at my side and my wife now who ends up leaving school for a bit to come out there to see me, who was my girlfriend at the time. And I'm just laying in bed going, don't die. Like <laughs> it's not your time right now. You know, you've got important things to do. So, you know, I, I eventually, thankfully the doctors end up diagnosing, but we get to, do like some tests and stuff and they find out Kenny goes and researches the best doctors in the country. We end up finding a guy in St. Louis named Robert Thompson who had done one or two, um, a couple of big league guys had it done. And what they were saying was that there's um, a first rib up here and some scaling muscles that come down your neck and it was pinching one of the veins and causing it to stop the blood clot. And then, you know, we have, big issues. Well, they had a surgery for that. We find out. So we go to this guy and we're saying, we need to get this done. And I go on blood thinners for a month or so prepping for this surgery, go out to St. Louis, get the surgery done easily. The most painful month or two that I've ever been through in my life, you know, just taking a breath was the hardest thing in the world. I couldn't even take a full breath at the point that I got out of the hospital, but it thankfully took and then we go back and do some more tests after a couple of months of me not even being allowed on the baseball field. I, I couldn't even be out there for practice because if I got hit while I was on blood thinners, then um, I could bleed internally and die. And it was intense to say the least. And the last thing I was thinking about was uh, I need to play a baseball game right now, or I need to get my homework done for that matter. It, it was just a crazy semester for me. Um, but the, luckily the recovery went pretty quick. Um, like I said, Kenny, I couldn't give him enough credit for what he did and, and how much research that he had done at the time to get me through that. Um, it went pretty quick. I ended up coming back almost exactly halfway through the season. And it was right about when 
uh, conference play with Sparta. So we were in a good position already. Um, I came back and started playing. And the craziest part about it was once I started playing, I didn't even care if I played bad. I was just out there excited to be in a baseball uniform again and being able to play. And I ended up having the best year that I've ever had. And my numbers were better than any other year. So it was, it was an interesting year of my life. Um, something I think that made me kind of who I am. It changed me for sure. It changed me who I am as a person. My personality has become something different from before that. Um, but like I said, it, it's hard to explain, you know, all the influences that helped me through that. I mean, I can't even start to talk about my parents or I'll get all teary eyed and worked up because I'm sure on their end, now that I'm a parent, um, having a two-year-old, I can't even imagine that feeling of just the helplessness of not even being in the same state and not being able to help, um, not being able to, you know, be there every day for me. I, I would, I would cry if I had to think of my daughter going through something like that, but they were amazing. And my family was there every step of the way. So I'm very thankful for everybody that helped me. So Kevin, tell us a little bit about, um, you know, what was going through your head. I'm sure baseball was the very last thing on earth you were thinking about. And, you know, so just, just take us through, you know, your perspective from, from what happened. Uh, well, it was, it's, I mean, some of it's kind of blurry at this point because it's a very emotional time for both of us, his mom and I. Um, you know, once we found out that he had the blood clot and then they're telling us, you know, we're going to, we don't know, you know, what's the outcome. We don't know if he's going to make it. He's going all over the place. His mom's had to quit work and, and start taking care of and start following him around. And you know what? She's, she's the driving force of this family when it comes to getting things done. I'll tell you that because without her, you know, you know, squeaky wheels get the grease and, Gene Romine made sure everything happened that he needed to have happen. I'll tell you, I got, I, you know, being where I had to stay home and take care of three other kids and work. So I'm working and taking care of three kids and she's out running around with Andrew. And we don't know if he's, you know, they're telling, we don't know if he's going to make it or not. You know, blood clot could go to his lungs or his heart and stop. I mean, you know, this is a 19 year old kid. And, you know, they're talking about you possibly losing your son. And you're like, I mean, base, what's baseball? Who cares? But I think, I think as it progressed and things got a little better and things worked out, I think baseball is what helped him get back into life. It gave him, it gave him a goal, a reason to live, a reason to move on and do the things. And, you know, people don't come, don't really realize how close we came to losing him at that point. Cause it, it was very, it was very touching going there for a little while. And, you know, he came through it like a little trooper and. <laughs> You know, he was strong and I, you know, I don't, I don't know that I could go through something like that. It's really, it's really a, a tribute to him and his fortitude to keep going, want to succeed in life and not give up. I mean, he could have, you know, in that situation like that, you could have given up at any time and he just didn't, he just kept on going. And here he is today, you know, he got through it and he just became a young man. Now he's got his own little kids and life is good. Ignorance is bliss. When, yeah. when, when you're that young and you don't know what's going on. And your mom won't tell you the truth. No, mom never told me to. <laughs> never told me. You know, I feel them every day. Everything's fine. You're yeah. going to be fine. You know, suck it up, you know, that kind of stuff. And, and then walk out into the hallway and break down and cry and yell at doctors and stuff and just never let me see any of it. But sometimes we need that, you know, as, as young adults or children, uh, 
sometimes you need that everything's going to be okay, even though in the back of their mind, they're freaking out themselves. Well, I mean, I, I know from my perspective, we know we knew very little. I'm sure, you know, I know Kenny kept things close to the vest. I'm sure Murph and the coaching staff knew, but it wasn't something that the team knew a whole lot about. Like, oh yeah, we'll, we'll hopefully Romeo will be back soon. You know, and, you know, we, yeah, I don't think we really wanted them to know. Yeah. We didn't want to affect the team in, in that kind of way because it was, it was very emotional. And I, and I think as close as the team was and the, the way that he was to people, we, we didn't want that to affect. We didn't want it to become part of them. It would affect everybody. I mean, then they'd start to worry and, you know, all hell would break loose. And, you know, we really didn't want that to happen for everybody. And, you know, we just kind of, kind of kept it close. So once, once it was clear you were, you were going to make it, obviously, what did they tell you about baseball? What did they say? You're, you're never be able to play again, or you're going to miss a year. What, what was the message they gave you? Originally, they said I was going to be on blood thinners for the rest of my life and I wasn't going to be able to play anything because I could bleed internally if I got hit by a ball or something. Um, I actually remember while I was on blood thinners, I cut myself shaving and it bled for like an hour because I couldn't get stop bleeding because they don't want me to clot. So like, they put me on blood thinners. So just little things here and there, like I, I can remember dumping my pills down the toilet because it was giving me nightmares and then having withdrawals because I dumped my pills down the toilet and just a, a debacle of a young, you know, teenager who doesn't know what the heck's going on. But um, having, having friends close to me who, who kind of didn't know what was going on, the kid, the guys that I lived with. And um, once the team did start to figure it out, it was, it was a lot easier to be able to lean on people and have that support and like my dad said if i didn't have baseball if i didn't have a team and i was just going through this as a, a regular student you know i mean i can't imagine i can't imagine what somebody else would have to deal with alone um i was just very lucky i was very lucky to have asu baseball and your your, your reward was your first weekend back was at washington state if i remember correctly yeah. we got snowed out uh one of the games so yeah what, playing in 35 degrees and um, but but like I said I didn't care I got to play baseball you know like I was the happiest person every single game I played that season I was the happiest person on the field I guarantee you it was it was a different outlook on life like I said my personality changed when you come back from something like that you always hear stories about people talking oh it changed me I became a different person yes yeah it changed me when you're laying in a bed and and they're telling you you're gonna die or you're never going to play baseball. Those are your two options. And then I'm sitting there going, watch me, you know, watch me. If I, if I had to do it now, I don't know if I'd have that mentality anymore. I know too many things now. And <laughs> so I see, I see the world in a different light, but back then, like I said, you're naive and you think you're invincible. And I think it kind of got me through it. Well, you won pack 10 player of the week that first week, but you came back. And then I remember in the regional that we played, uh, we played Baylor in the first game. I think it was again, it was either Baylor or it was the, the second game. You did a backflip to take the field. And that, uh, you know, the, the feeling was, okay, he's, he's back now. So what, what was the genesis? I don't even know if you remember the backflip, but uh, I remember I put a note in the media guide about it in your bio. So do you remember doing the backflip to, to start the game like Ozzie Smith? Of course. They, the guys made me do it. You know, I was never a flashy player. I never have been, but you know, when you're, your buddies, your friends, your family, they're telling you to go out there and have fun and be you. 
and that comes out and it's just it's a, a a good example of what you're capable of when you go out and have fun versus trying to do stuff or being worried about what people think or what your expectations are you go play you go have fun and you usually get the best out of yourself and kevin as a parent what were you thinking when you see Andrew, do this backflip after everything you'd been through. Were you like, okay, he's back now, but in the back of your mind going, oh my God, what is he doing? Yeah, that was that was kind of his signature thing. He learned, he learned, he, he was always an I, you know, dad would say, you got to watch certain people. And Ozzy was always one of the people that he'd watch. And uh, he kind of copied that. I think, if, if I'm not mistaken, I, I think one of the players on the other team had done something to the same kind of effect. And I think that was their. And Andrew's answer to theirs, like one of their players did some kind of flip or that was at Rice. Was that Rice? That was at Rice when um, what was the what was the all? I think it was an all boys school. It was a purple team. They had a purple oh team. yeah, it was a Prairie View A and M. Okay, so their shortstop goes out and does it, and inevitably our guys. Oh, you're not going to let that happen, are you? So. I got to go out and do it bigger and higher and make it more grand. And I'm just like, oh, this ain't me, but all right. If the team wants it, then let's go. Let's have fun with it. And the other, team, the other teams dug out, freaked out too. Yeah. They, they loved it as well. That was a fun game to watch that one. Let's, um, let's talk really quick about the 2007 season because, um, you know, now you're back full strength. You, go, you, play, you start 61 games that year. We win the Pac-10 championship despite what the NCAA said. We go back to Omaha. Was the first um, first time ASU had won the Pac-10 championship outright in like 15 years, something like that, and it kind of kicked off that era of dominance. So, what do you remember about that 07 team, and and you know what it was like seeing all those young guys? That was your last year at ASU, but you've got Wallace, Davis, and Paramore, all these freshmen who you know cut their teeth the year before, and now they're showing how dominant they are. Yeah. It was interesting because those were all the big guys on the team. You know, we got Wallace and Davis and Paramore and Rowling and um, Sogi was playing second at the time. We got uh, Tim Smith. Like, these guys were ginormous. And I'm 6'1", 185. Like, I'm not tiny or anything, but I'm, I remember looking around our, our locker room and on the field, and I'm going, geez, I wouldn't want to be playing against this team right now. Like, this team is a monster. And then we go out and put up the numbers we did where we were scoring 12 plus runs a game or something crazy like that. I can distinctly remember going through my first few years of the minor leagues and going, uh, our, our college team would crush this team. <laughs> every, le- every level that I went to, our college team in 07 would crush this team. And I didn't see another team that was as good as that year until I got to AAA. That's how, that's how good that team was in 07. And I, I mean, I, I'll stand by that to this day. We just the talent that we had on the offensive side, like we're not even talking about how we were the number one offense, the number one defense and the number one pitching in the country, or at least from my knowledge. We were pretty good. I and mean, we forgot about Matt Spencer, who I think was like six, six. He was yeah. another guy. We had yeah. an offensive line on our first six hitters in the lineup. That, that was the first year that I started realizing that kids are changing. Like this is baseball is going to be a different sport. You used to see the wiry guys more my size. And now you're seeing Aaron judges come through and being six, seven, 200, 
30, 240 pounds, but athletic at the same time. It was, it was an odd transition. And now we're seeing a lot more. of Kevin, I want to ask you about when they uh, retired your number 12 at Packard stadium in 2006, what did it mean for you personally to see your name go up on that wall with guys like, you know, bonds and Reggie and, and all the, the amazing names that have come to that program and then to be able to do it. And I, we pushed the ceremony, I think back to May so that Andrew, you could be back playing. So what did it mean for you personally to see your name go up on that wall with all those greats and be able to have your son there in the same uniform uh, when it happened? Just a, a, a continuation of a dream, I guess. And, you know, it, it's, uh, it was nice to know. It was nice to be recognized for, you know, having a good, good career at ASU and uh, to see your name go up on the board. And I guess Alvin and I were both there that weekend and, uh, Got to visit with him, and it was great to, to, to re, re, rekindle some old uh, memories and things like that. And then to have your son sitting on the bench over there clapping for you. It's a very emotional time for me. And I was just, you know, happy to have the opportunity to play there. You know, it happened so fast. that You look back and you say, wow, how, you know, where'd all the time go? And then all of a sudden your son's playing there, and you're like, wow, this, this is really special. 25 years, was it? what was Packard Stadium like you mentioned a little bit when you came to watch when you were at Orange Coast what was it like playing in Packard I'm gonna ask both of you but but Kevin for you what was it like playing at Packard in you know 81 and 82 kind of when Packard was at its height you mentioned you know the 7,000 people a game and what kind of home field advantage did it provide for that team I can well I can tell you you wouldn't want to be the visiting team coming into Packard I can tell you that right now I don't think anybody Anybody that had ever talked to felt comfortable coming in there to play. It's just not somewhere you wanted to be because, you know, you got 7,000 screaming fans. And that was my first case. I mean, you know, I went to high school. There's never anybody at your games. And junior college is not much different. It's just kind of, you know, games are played and, you know, 40, 50 people around. But you walk into a, a Packard stadium that's just full and people standing down the lines. You got set, six, 7,000 people there for every game of a weekend series and it's like sure isn't hard to play in front of that kind of crowd i'll tell you that hey didn't you say that the drinking age was lower and it was at 18 probably 18 i think when we were we were playing back there so you had a lot of younger students enjoying the games a lot earlier <laughs> not not that it stopped anybody when i was there from drinking it's asu come on it might have been 19. and andrew how about for you i mean especially that 07 team, they were dominant at home. I mean, we did not lose very often. I think we lost three games at home in 07. So what was it like playing? And in 05, we hosted the regional, the newly remodeled Packard. You never got to play at the old Packard that your dad played in. You were there 05, the first year in the newly remodeled one with the new Terrace. So what was it like for you playing in that stadium? That, that was something that I always wanted to do. Like, as soon as I knew I was signing at ASU, and I wanted to go and be a part and play at the same place that all these guys who had gone before me had played at. So like finally getting there and just walking out onto the field was, there was this aura about it and you can't replicate that because obviously this, it's something inside you that tells you you're part of something very, very cool. And then I'm there while they're building on and adding these things to it and making it a little more grand. So it was it was a fun experience to see it. Um, obviously, I didn't get a chance, you know, to be back in the old day when he was there. But I can still you can sense the the feel of it. Um, it was the same. 
Now I got to go back and get on the field with him during an alumni weekend. The field was the same. There wasn't the, the, the stadium was the same. The lights were the same. The monster was out in the center was the same. They just added on to what was already a great field. I mean, it's it, 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 it felt so much the way it was 25 years earlier. It just felt the same. Do you guys have, each of you have a favorite memory, a favorite moment at Packard? How about two years? I, I just, I relive the whole, to me, it's the whole environment, the whole, the whole experience. I, I, there's not any one single moment that stands out in my head. I got a moment for you. Which one? My, and this, you'll probably not even think that this would be the moment. Uh, we, I don't know if they still do it, but the alumni game and we got to play an alumni game against them when those guys came back and my dad put on a uniform and played a baseball game against me that actually was a real baseball game. So that was the first time that, you know, we're wearing the same uniform. We're on the, we're on the field at Packard and I'm playing a baseball game against my dad. So that for me, out of all the stuff that we did, that stands out the most to me. <laughs> Packard stadium has so many great memories and, uh, you know, I think for everybody. So I think you guys would agree. It, it's just, it's a special place. And uh, there was never quite a home field advantage like Packard Stadium, right? Yeah. I, we're, I'm hate, I just, I think, and Andrew would agree too. We hated to see it go. I don't, you know, it's, I still look every time, you know, we live here in Phoenix now. And every time we drive by the school, I'd look at the light. I'd look up, look over at the field. The lights are still there. You know, it's, it's still in existence. It's still there. It always will be for us. Andrew, you got a different clubhouse than Kevin, you had, but the clubhouse, you know, I'm sure you both had stories. You, you know, Andrew, you had to do with the flooding and you probably had the cats, Kevin, but there was just something about Packard stadium that everybody has a different story and everybody had the same experience yet it was a different experience. Well, my experience, my first year there, the year, my sophomore year, the year we ended up winning it. um, Our locker room was in the, in the basketball gym. We actually had lockers in the basketball gym. We had to walk across the parking lot in our cleats to the field. And then uh, after that year, after we won the national championship that year, they actually built us a locker room underneath the stadium at a cinder block that was about 20 by 20 for 40 40 guys. We stepped up in the world. We won the national championship. We got a a brick house. (laughs) So... I said, well, I said, at least we didn't have to walk across the parking lot this time. Not, not quite what Andrew got to go, that luxury, luxury box that he got to call a locker room. He told me when we walked through, when I took my visit, he was like, I had to walk across the, the parking lot in cleats to get to the field. And you guys get is basically that's a, a big, house. That's a big league, that's a big league par- uh, clubhouse they got. Oh, yeah. We just nothing. We had we had a little gym lockers across the parking lot. That's better than some big league clubhouses. I would agree. All right, I'm going to ask this for both of you. What was your favorite team to play against, and what was your favorite road trip? Oh man, favorite team to play against. Um, my favorite team to play against was U of A. That was always they were really good those years that I was there, and. Obviously, the rivalry, you can't beat the rivalry of ASU or U of A, but the fans, man, they were mean. They were <laughs> mean. They would go look up stuff about your family, and they would yell at you while you're hitting. And I can remember just, like, being on deck, like, 
man, can I just disappear right now? Because I don't want to hear what they have to say next to bat. This is going to be terrible. But, I mean, that made the series that much more intense. And it was so much fun. Um, I think the, the my favorite road trip, I don't know. I'll have to think about that. Uh, I always like my, my favorite trip, my favorite road trip in teams. I, I like to play against SC. I always, because I got to come home. I got to see the family and. I, I, there was just something about that that stadium that was just fun to hit in, you know. I just I, I enjoyed crushing SC. There was no other fun time than beating up on SC and all their money and all their all the kids <laughs> from this area that used to kind of frown on you because you went oh you went to ASU you're a traitor and so it was there wasn't anything more fun than beating up on them, which we I mean, did quite often on my own. I mean, in fairness, you were a four hundred eight career here in college, so you kind of hit against everybody, right? Well. But maybe I hit a little more against SC because I enjoyed beating them so much. It was fun. Kevin, do you look back at your career and look at those numbers and go, man, did, was that real? I mean, there's only two guys who's ever had back-to-back seasons of over 400, and you were the first. The other one came along 20 years later or 25 years later in Brett Wallace. Do you ever look back and go, wow, I, I, was, a, I was a pretty good college player? I mean, you also you stole 86 bags, which is the most ever in the history of the school also. I mean, your name is still up there on a lot of those lists. Do you do you do you appreciate that now, all these years later? It, it, maybe more now than I did then, because at the time you're just playing. I mean, they, I, I I don't know. You kind of expect to do. You don't you know you, you don't say okay, I expect to hit 400, but you you expect to go out and get a hit every time you walk up to the plate. I I don't think that I ever had an expect, expectation less than that. I mean. It, you know, you get out, you get angry. It's like, you don't want to get out, you, you know? So in some ways it's like, yeah, I expected to get a hit every time I walk up there. But and then you look back on it and say, you know what? 400 is pretty good, but but I can't remember them all. I can't remember all the hits or it's just kind of like, well, when, you know, you get done with the day or you get done with the season and it, it totals up to what it does. And you're like, yeah, that's not too bad. And then it kind of, it stands the test of time and, I think people don't run as much as they used to. I think the art of space dealing has has kind of really gone away from the game. I think the way it's uh, progressed, the way it's evolved, especially you know through Andrew's career in the big leagues and playing pro ball, it, it just it evolved from one one type of game to another. And it's really the running game has really gone to the wayside, and it seems like it's become much more of a statistical or a power game than it ever was. You know, when back when I was playing. You get you know get a guy on, bunny him over, get him in, you know like like uh, Sparky used to say, pitching and three run home runs. And that's how you win games. Today it's like they get up there, everybody wants to hit a home run every time. That was kind of started by that 07 team where we just hit three run home runs every other inning. It seemed like right, Andrew. Yeah, you just tell me and JJ to get on base, and then everybody else goes and tries to hit a home run. So we were ahead of the game. It worked. Yeah, it did. And let's let's talk about uh, the pro careers. I mean, Kevin, you had a very successful big league career with Boston. Andrew, you played eleven seasons in the big leagues. So, did was was your dad somebody you could lean on? Well, that doesn't that says nothing of your brother Austin, who's also a big leaguer. And you know, do you do you get on him for not coming to ASU and for going straight to the pros? No, <laughs> <laughs> no, man, get go go there. I mean, that's the goal, right? You know as a kid when you're coming up playing baseball you want to make it to the big league i don't know a lot of people that say i want to get to college ball and stop there so your your end goal is always big leagues and as it should be but if you had if he had the 
and it's different for everybody. I wouldn't say that everybody should skip college. Obviously, it was good for me. Um, I think that was the best path that I could have taken. But for my brother, I think that that was his path. That was the way that he was supposed to go, and it made it made for a better career for him. Kevin, what was it like to to see both of your boys play big league baseball? I mean, for somebody who played in the big leagues themselves, and then to see your 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 sons go on and have that success as well. Obviously, it had to be amazing, but then to be able to see them not only play on the same team, but to see Andrew pitch to Austin in a big league game at Wrigley Field, just describe it. Take me through those emotions when that happened. Well, <laughs> it's almost undescribable because you, you, you go through the career yourself and then you get a couple of boys and you raise them and they, they play ball and you hope that that you don't push them. To, you don't push them. I never push them. I say, I didn't say you have to play ball. But if you play something, you play it the best you can. And if you start something, you finish it. And if it, if it so works out that this is the path that your life takes and you guys have the opportunity to get up there and, you know, God bless them with the ability to do it. Like their mom said, she, they got all their talent from her. So <laughs> I have to agree with that. I can't argue that point. So since I have to take their mom's talent, at least it gave me an opportunity to try to add to that ability that their mom gave them and hopefully Put them at what I, my goal was to put them in the best position that I could to succeed at who they are, what what their their pros and cons are, what they do best, and and try to make it the easiest route for them to make it. And you know, watching them, I think the first time we got to see them on the field together in the big leagues was there in in Anaheim when Austin got called up. I guess the season had just ended or ended in you know the minor leagues, and Austin was out shopping or something with his mom and. Girardi came over, got got a hold of Andrew, and was trying to get a hold of his brother because they were trying to call Austin up, and then to get to see them both on the same field at the same time, and um, yeah, I guess it's I guess it's every father's dream to, to see their son succeed like that, and I really can't describe the emotions that I had that time because they really were at that time and they are now indescribable for me, and just the the sheer joy of a father to see his son succeed is is enough for me. Andrew, what was it like to be able to be a teammate with your brother and, and actually pitch to him in a game, you know, considering you're not a pitcher, you know, it's so unique. Hey, I've got, I've got like eight or nine appearances. All right. That's, a That's lot true. Of hey, back in the day, we'd be listening to you in the, in the ASU baseball media guy is a big league pitcher. So that's, that's true. I'm talking about I, <laughs> I've hit my fair share of batters and I've given up home runs. I'm a pitcher, man. So <laughs> to be able to do it. So we, didn't even expect that to happen. Um, obviously, going back to the beginning of the season last year, I didn't even know if I was going to play again. I wasn't sure if I was going to get picked up or get an offer to go play, um, get an invite to spring training. And the Twins ended up sending me something like three days before spring started. And I'm getting ready to move on to what's next. And I go out to spring. I have average spring, nothing crazy. They tell me they're not sure what they're going to do with me. And so we ended up uh, going over to the Cubs and the Cubs, I think had this idea in their head already. I, I think, I think Jed was uh, already kind of talking about it with his people. And we had spoke to them a couple of years prior before about signing with them. And I ended up not going that direction. I went to the Phillies set in 19. So we go to, I go to the alternate site. My brother gets hurt in spring training. So he ends up not coming back until he tried to come back again, got hurt again. He didn't come back until 
the day that I ended up pitching to him, he had just got called up and it only happened because Contreras got hurt and we didn't have another catcher on the roster. So they called my brother from AAA and he was supposed to be doing three or four more days of rehab there before he came back. Well, they called him up, said, we need you now. Um, you're ready to go, right? And my brother's like, sure, like, <laughs> I guess, whatever. <laughs> Let's go. So he comes up. I, I'm not sure if it, I think it was a day game. So we're getting started early. I'm playing that day. I said hi to him briefly before the game because he had just flew in. And so I go out, we play, we get crushed by the Brewers. And I come back in in the eighth. And Ross is going, hey, I think you're going to throw, you know, you've thrown before. I know you have. So just don't hurt yourself. And I was like, I'm good. I know what I'm doing. We're fine. <laughs> so I go out there and I jog out to the mound and I look over and my brother's jogging out in his catcher's gear. He wasn't supposed to play that day. He was just there, you know, in case, you know, it's something that happened to the starting catcher. And he comes jogging out and I start going, all right, one's a fastball, two. And he goes, just throw the ball. <laughs> and I was like, okay, go ahead. So he gets back there, you know, the first pitch I throw him is a knuckleball and he kind of like catches it and looks at me and I go, you should have waited for the rest of my pitches. I, I was going to let you know I had more. <laughs> so, so the rest of the time he's just going, come on, throw them. And I'm tossing knuckleballs up there and I'm looking around. And the, the cool thing about that whole situation was myself and probably my wife, are the only people right now at this moment who know that this is it. This is, there's a couple weeks left in the season and I know I'm done. I know I'm retiring. I wasn't going to play baseball the next year. This was the last baseball I'm ever playing in my entire life. And I'm looking around standing on the mound in Wrigley, like a movie thinking I'm playing backyard baseball, throwing knuckleballs to my brother in Wrigley against the number one team in the division right now. And I'm getting people out. Like, this is weird. This is a crazy story, like fairy tale that we got going on right now. But um, not not too many people in baseball get to have that awareness of in the moment, like this is it. Like I'm going to soak this up and just be as happy as I could possibly be throwing baseballs to my brother in Wrigley. And I know I'm going to be sitting on a couch done with baseball in a month. It's amazing. It really is amazing. How did the uh, all nine positions in one game thing come up? Was that something you had talked about before or was that just something that, uh, you know, the, the coaching staff decided to try? So the first year that I was with the Tigers, Osmus was, that was his first year as manager. And I can remember going to the pre preseason um, exhibition game against the nationals. And we go to Washington from Florida. We were supposed to play one game there with against them and we got rained out so we go back to the hotel um i'm sitting down in the hotel with a couple of guys we're just hanging out at the bar like having a drink doing whatever and brad comes to sit down, and we just started talking about stuff and he brings up hey uh you know as a utility guy you ever think about playing all nine because the last person that did it i was part of that game so he was all excited and he started telling his story about how shane halter got to do it and then he was bragging about how he got to play third base when Shane was catching because Brad was a catcher. So Brad was like, yeah, I got to play third for an inning and it was really cool. What do you think? I was like, yeah, I would love to do that. So nothing for the next four years. Like we didn't talk about it. It finally comes about, we got about a week left in the season. I'm pretty sure at that point, Brad had already found out from the front office that he wasn't coming back the next season. 
And we were already trading everybody away. We knew that they were getting rid of all of their big money guys and not having to pay. So Brad comes to me and goes, Hey, you want to remember that conversation we had? You want to play all nine? I was like, absolutely. Let's do it. So we tried to make it happen in, um, in Detroit, but the teams we were playing still had a chance to make the playoffs and it still affected their other teams in the division. So we couldn't do it at home, but um, luckily when we went to Minnesota, they were already in, we were already out. Our games didn't affect anybody else in the division. So Brad said, let's do it. And we scheduled it for the last game of the season. And lo and behold, there's supposed to be rain on the last day of the year. So he moved it up to the game, the day before the last game. And he made it happen basically, even though some of the front office people weren't too happy about it. I mean, some of the other guys on the other team weren't too happy, but he said, screw it, let's get it done. And I told him, just don't tell me where I'm going until I have to know. Cause I don't want to be thinking about where I'm going next and what's going to happen. So after two outs of every inning, when we're in the dugout, he would yell down to me, you're going here. And I'd go walk over and grab my glove. And um, it was actually really fun because the, the, every guy that I went to a position for, they got to go somewhere where they don't usually play. So I'm playing, I'm playing catcher, which is the only one that I've never done before. I'm playing catcher and we're winning two to one. And I'm trying not to let somebody hit a home run or steal a bunch of bases or anything because I don't want to lose this or give this guy an earned run. And I told our catcher while he's playing second base, he's going to give signals to me for the sign. So I would throw the ball back to the pitcher and then I would look and he would have his hand down in his side like this for a fastball. If it was like this, it was a slider. And if it was like that, it was a changeup. And so I would throw it back and I'd look at him and then I'd go down and give my signs and pretend like I knew what I was doing, which I had no idea what I was doing. Did you have your own catcher's glove or were you borrowing the starting catcher's no, glove? No, so I had I had borrowed my brother's catcher's glove, which he, he gave me one of his old gloves, which I still have. And then I was using um, James McCann's face mask. And the only, pretty much the only thing I was buying was the gear. Mizuno sent me some gear because I told him, hey, I need some catching gear so I can go catch bullpens throughout the year. So I had gear for that, but... Yeah, so I got the I got to piece together some equipment, and I still have all that stuff. It's it's in the office. And you know, like ten years from now, you can go to baseball card shows and sign photos that say "All Mine, Row Mine" on there, right? That's a, so that was one of the cool things after the game. Um, I went and I signed down the down the lines, and I stayed for a while. I brought my family down onto the field in the dugout, and while I was signing, one guy goes, "Hey, can you write All Mine, Row Mine" on there?" And I stopped and I looked at him. I said. That's probably the coolest thing that I'm ever going to hear in my life. So I'm stealing that phrase. And I did that from then on. People started asking because they see it on one or two cards. And now everybody wants that on there. And uh, when that season ended, I went back and I told my wife in the hotel, I said, when I'm done, I'm opening up an all nine row mine baseball academy. And we're going to use that name. And that's pretty much what we've done. We basically, when the season ended, uh, my dad and I have gone and we put together a little uh, baseball academy. We're starting up the all nine row mine baseball lessons and camps. And we're headed in the direction of getting some warehouse going and a whole department of baseball and teams and camps and stuff running. So it grew into something bigger just from one guy saying, hey, can you sign the card like this? You never know, right? You don't. All right. So, Andrew, you mentioned that uh, you retired from, from professional ball. So, 
tell me a little about you. You mentioned the All Nine Academy. What else? What else are you doing now in retirement? So I got I got a our lender, who was a, a college or a high school coach for me in Summer Bowl. He sends me a link, and he goes, "Check this out." So I click on it, and it's a class to go get my lending license, become a lender. And I was like, "Just hold on, I'm gonna play one more season. Let me finish baseball first. So I go and I take the exam, I passed it. And um, after this year, um, come October, I was like, I gotta, I gotta jump in now because I don't want to get complacent and lazy, and I gotta start working. Um, we're all gonna have to get jobs eventually when we're done playing ball. So. I figured, why am I going to wait? Let's get going now. And I jumped in with LendUS and I've been doing mortgage loans and making phone calls to people and living on my phone and computer these days. So I'm getting into that social media world, which I never had any, but I'm figuring it out. My wife is helping me. So we're out there helping people get some loans and, and getting them into homes and refining their houses right now. How do they find you on social media? Ooh, social media, all nine Romine. It's the same on all of them. So all nine Romine on Twitter and Instagram, uh, Andrew Romine on Facebook. And uh, you can send me your information and we'll get you going. There you go. Well, good luck with that. And congratulations on your retirement. And Kevin, you you, you, you got two big league ball players in the family to go along with yourself. So that's a, it's a pretty successful run. You're like the Archie Manning of baseball. There you go. Got, got the, the legacy living on. Maybe we'll get another one. I got a couple of grandsons. So hey, you never know, right? Future Sun Devil. I cannot thank you guys enough for uh, for spending some time with me today. Uh, I'm excited to get college baseball started again. We don't know when when Major League Baseball is going to get started again, but uh, ASU starts in less than a month now, and uh, it's great that you guys are here in Arizona, and hopefully we see you out there at Muni at a couple of games this year. So we'll try to take in a few, and hopefully they'll turn it around, and we'll see them back in Omaha this year. What do you think? Yeah, it's time. I mean, the fact that we haven't been to Omaha since 2010, it's, it's too long. And we got a Sun Devil back in there. So Willie's going to turn this thing around for us. And and T-Buck's back. So we, we'll get to see Travis and uh, catch up with those guys. But it'll be fun. I'm sure we're going to go out and catch something maybe here in the opening weekend or something. Well, I, I know nobody cares more about this program than Willie Bloomquist. We've we've had him on the show and I've talked to him just one on one and He's so passionate. He's so fired up and he's so proud to put that uniform back on. And Gosh, we all are. We, 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 we talk about it all the time. We're talking to Graham about it. It's like, man, ASU's got to get back on the board, man. Yeah. It's, Willie, Willie's going to do it for us. It's nice to see alumni coming back around, which you know, absolutely it, it really brings the tradition back to the school and, and gets the program pumped up to see everybody back at school. Well, I don't know if you guys heard, but uh, Graham told me this week they've sold more season tickets this year than any time in the last 15, 20 years, as far back as they have those records. Uh, this is the most season tickets I've ever sold. I, I bought a pair, even though I, you know, I can get in whenever I want to. I bought a pair. I want to support Willie in the program and take the boy out to a few games. So uh, it's, it's, it's going to be a good time to be a Sun Devil baseball fan again, I, I think. Let's go. Let's go Devils. Absolutely. Well, thank you guys so much, and we'll see you out at Phoenix Municipal Stadium this year, and go Devils. All righty. Thanks, Randy. Go Devils. Well, it was uh, great to catch up with the Romines, Kevin and Andrew. It's such a unique story uh, to have a father-son duo who not only both played at ASU, but both went on to play in the big leagues and had very successful major league careers. So uh, my thanks to both Kevin and Andrew for taking some time and joining us today. Uh, I wish Jake had been here, but as I said, Jake's not feeling so hot. So hopefully he's back uh, healthy and 
you know, now the baseball season's ramping back up for ASU, it's time for us to ramp back up the podcast. So we're going to bring you more great guests uh, as baseball season rolls along. And I just want to throw out there, you know, this coming weekend, uh, January 30th is alumni weekend at Phoenix Municipal. It's about time we've had alumni weekend again for, for Sun Devil Baseball. There's going to be a lot of guys from the past coming back to take part in the activities and the festivities. Starts at 10 a.m., doors open at 9.30 at Phoenix Muni next weekend. So please stop by. I'll be there uh, doing some PA announcing and get a chance to see the 2022 Devils uh, and the new head coach, Willie Bloomquist. And, you know, I, I can't be more excited about what Willie's going to do for this program. He's so invested. He so badly wants to win, and he's so, so ingrained in Sun Devil baseball. I think it's going to be a good thing for the program. You heard Andrew and, and Kevin talk about it and the, the optimism surrounding the program for the first time in a while. And it's time to get back to Omaha. And I know that that's what Willie wants to do. And, and Coach Bloomquist needs our support. And you heard me mention that um, season tickets have never sold more than they have this year in the in the, the recent history. And that's because of the uh, the energy that, uh, that um, Coach Bloomquist is bringing to the program and bringing Travis Buck along. And it's going to be a great a great few years here for the Sun Devils. Baseball's on its way back. And uh, I think you should all go out there, support Coach Bloomquist, Coach Buck, and, and the Sun Devil baseball players. Um, they need our support. And I know we have the best fans in college baseball, and that's going to happen. And that starts this this coming weekend at Alumni Weekend. So hope to see everyone out there at Phoenix Municipal Stadium on Sunday for, for Alumni Weekend. There's more information on thesundevils.com if you want a breakdown of everything that's going to happen. But uh, again, my thanks to my guests, Kevin and Andrew Romine for joining us. Looking forward to another great season of Sun Devil Baseball, another great season of the Legends of Packard podcast. And honey, I just want to be back in your arms again. Follow the Legends of Packard podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Packard Legends and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Legends of Packard. The Legends of Packard podcast is a Paula Truck Media production and is not affiliated with Arizona State University. Thank you.